0: Welcome back episode number 84 of behind the yellow line full crew tonight. We've got Jeremy and Randall and we've got the Cubs winners of seven of their last eight ball games. So just one week to go here in the 2022 regular season Cubs playing some good ball of late. We've got some big league news to get to. We've got some minor league news to get to including uh, quite the fireworks show today for the Iowa Cubs wrapping up the regular season. Some prospect notes to get to in there as well. One more look at the weather as we've got just one week of baseball to go. And then a quick look around the majors as the pennant race really heating up some interesting runs here in both the National League and over in the American League. Uh, But Jeremy, we start with the big league team tonight. Uh, Say what you want about the Cubs. Yeah, this sort of difficult season is coming to a close, but seven of eight, including a big series win over a team fighting for a playoff spot. It's pretty good baseball this week at Wrigley against a good Phillies team.
1: Yeah, that's a couple of uh, these last couple of weeks we saw with the Braves a couple weeks ago. Cubs putting on a little run on the NL East, you know, coming out here against the Phillies. I know David Ross had some words, some choice words about playing spoiler, which I didn't really quite understand what David was saying there. I'm like, what's going on here? But uh, Hayden was West- Westnessy coming out and pitching pretty well. I mean, he's what, four starts now? Uh, he looks God. pretty good. And then you get a big homer from a guy, you know, Morell's struggling a little bit, but he's got 16 homers on the year and he only came up like a couple months ago. So, you know, a lot of bright spots to look at. And uh, seven of eight, hey, Cubs are going to make this close to the White Sox. They can't catch them. But, hey, who would have thought the Cubs might finish only a couple of games behind the Sox well, coming up this season? Well,
0: enlighten me a little bit here. I I don't know what you're talking about
1: with David Ross. What did he say and what are you feeling? Well, he said that he doesn't like – well, that – the team should come out. His words were kind of weird. They, he was asked about playing a spoiler, um, you know, in the future. And he talked about how he doesn't like the term spoiler and he doesn't want to be a spoiler that he, he should have guys should just be, he wants a team that competes every day, you know? And I'm like, well, when you're playing spoiler, you're competing every day. That's the point of being a spoiler. I mean, yeah, you sucked. It's bad. You don't want to be in that spot, but the whole point is that you're trying to ruin somebody else's season. Right. So you're competing. So I just thought it was a weird, like, it was just like a weird kind of grasp of the situation, which I understand what he's saying. Like, you want to compete every day, you want to be on a you want to be on a winning team, you don't want to be a spoiler, but it was just like a weird this is the situation the Cubs are in right now. So we want to beat the Phillies, we want to beat the Braves or excuse me, the Mets a couple weeks ago. So I that that was just my take on his comments.
2: Yeah, it's a weird answer. Almost like he thinks very somebody somebody asked him, um, you know, do you like like you know, packing it in at the end of the season? His answer would make a lot more sense if that's the question he had been asked. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it, you know, he talks about wanting to go out, play your hardest, do your best every single day. And if you can't do that, you don't belong in this league. Um, you know, he said it doesn't really resonate with him. So yeah, it, it, you sort of get what he's saying. He doesn't want to play spoiler. He wants to be the team that's still in it at the end of the season. Um, And instead of the team trying to take out the team that's still in it, but yeah, it's a, it's a really weird answer, but you know, managing a team like this over a season like this for like a season and a half of this now it probably does things to your mind so uh, i'll I'll let him have this one without yeah, too much argument
1: it, it kind of felt like he didn't quite understand the question because yeah response that's, was that's like the vibe
2: i get from him which is weird. like
1: but that's yeah, okay it was just weird it was just like it was like he was answering it in an affirmative while saying it as a negative which was very weird <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, it's probably good I missed it. You know, there's a lot of nonsense and noise that happens over the course of the year. You think about managers and players, for that matter, every single day, win, loss, winning streak, losing streak, injuries, the highs and lows of a season. You get a microphone shoved in your face and you got to answer questions in the moment. Sometimes things come out that maybe don't land right. Uh, We would all agree we'd rather the Cubs were playing for something more than maybe some momentum going into next year at this point, but something that has been satisfying building off what you were saying a minute ago, Jeremy, the Cubs are beating good teams and they're beating good teams with players that we anticipate are going to be around next year and beyond and helping this team moving forward. So it is big for Nico Horner at a big hit. The other day Morrell, as you mentioned with another home run today, he's doing that against a team that in a month could be in the NLCS. So I, to me, that's very valuable. And I want, this last week, you've got one more with the Phillies, six with the Reds. You can stack up a couple of wins here going into the winter, and I'd love to see that and just have that momentum carry
1: in to what should be a very exciting offseason. Yeah, I agree. I mean, hey, the Phillies, I I would love it if we put a little hurt in them and knock them out of the playoffs. I think that would be fun. You know, a team a, a
0: Milwaukee Brewer fan here, Jeremy Specter.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I just think it'd be fun, you know, for the Cubs to be to be the spoiler and 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 ruin somebody's day. Well, whoever benefits might benefit them, but we're just talking about the team we could play on our schedule. Um, so yeah, and uh, hey, it, like you said, um, you know, there's a lot of young guys that are gonna get some opportunities that we've been talking about in the past. But like, let's put a good foot. I mean, we all remember Mike Quaddy, You know, got the job because he went like 36 to 24 after Lou took over or something like that. But or Lou re- re- retired. But uh, you know, there's still some some good things coming and positive developments from these games. Like they are major league baseball games and they all, even though they might not count as much in the standings because the team's out of it, but they matter. They matter for development. They matter for lots of things. So we want to see these guys perform and get the opportunity and see what's there.
2: Well, for for all the times we've seen Cubs teams that were sort of still in it at the end of the year and they end up losing to a team Equivalent to this year's Cubs team, this is a, a nice measure of revenge. And, you know, it'll be nice to have a season at some point here in the near future where we're not just enjoying revenge as a dish best served cold. But, you know, if that's what's served to you, you might as well eat it.
0: Yeah. Well, look, the Cubs are a better team today. I'm talking about the big league roster. They're a better team today than they were April 1st. And that's much better than maybe the last couple of years where they had some guys on the opening day roster and then started trading guys. So I like this roster much better today than what we saw back at the beginning of the season. And you figure that's going to spill over into next year. A question that popped up on the broadcast tonight, I wanted to get your guys' take on it. It's that Marquis Duncan question of the game, you know, an excuse to get the sideline reporter uh, piped into the broadcast a little bit more. But it was a good question this time. Who is your Chicago Cubs rookie of the year? And I'll say that who won the fan vote tonight on Marquis Sportsnet kind of by a landslide was Christopher Morrell. Randall, who's your Cubs rookie of the year this year with a week to go?
2: Well, you know, I, I have to go with the fan vote and I have to say Christopher Morrell. I would love for it to be Saya. I think he's missed um, just enough games that he's not quite there in the running. With Morrell. he had an extended injury and, of course, he's been off the field for uh, – uh, about a week and a half now almost two weeks as uh, of course he was tending to the birth of his child so perfectly legitimate reason to be off the field but uh, morell has been in there just about every day since he was called up on May 17th and he has for the most part held his own there have been ups and downs we've seen mistakes we've seen things um, that's probably not where he'd want but he's still been in there every day and he's still produced to a fairly decent degree so for me it's Christopher morell
1: yeah, yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, thinking it over, but I'm gonna go off the board a little bit. I, I think say, mm-hmm. and Christopher Morrell have obviously been uh, pretty good. I'm gonna go with Brandon Hughes. I just think he's had a cool. great year coming up. You know, being a lefty reliever, being thrust in situations. You know, I, 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 just, I just think you know, being a former outfielder coming up, doing it for Kern for uh, our friend Greg Kerner, uh, the Michigan State guy, uh, Brandon Hughes coming up and being a, a reliable, dependable bullpen arm. I'm gonna go with him.
0: I love it. Uh, I just love the curveball there from you. No pun intended, Jeremy. I'm actually going to go with Saya. I think he is the Cubs rookie of the year this year. Randall, this is probably going to be surprising to you. They've played about the exact same number of games, the two of them, over the course of this full season. I know it's been a little bit more consistent with Morrell. They're within a couple of home runs of each other. Uh, Saya, I think defensively, not to underscore what Morel has done playing multiple positions. I just love what we've seen out of Seiya and Wright. So I like it. The three of us, three completely different answers. Three guys we all expect to be a big part of the Cubs next year. But how about this? Rick Sutcliffe said two things in the broadcast tonight. That kind of pissed me off. This was one of them. He said he didn't think Seiya Suzuki should even be in the running in this debate regarding the Cubs because he feels that players who have played in Japan have... More professional experience. Therefore, it's not even playing field. Therefore, he picks Christopher Morrell. That's nonsense as far as I'm concerned. Randall, you're ready to pipe in.
2: Boog had just a fantastic retort to that. I don't know if you caught it. But at the end of that conversation, he points out who is the rookie of the year award named for. And the answer, of course, is Jackie Robinson. Where did Jackie Robinson play before his ostensible major league debut in the negro leagues with some of the best players in the world and you could just hear Sutcliffe deflate as he processed that he said well I feel like the rug's been pulled out from under me and uh, you could just hear him kind of process that because I don't think he had a a retort for the point that Boog was making so yeah you know I kind of see his point that it's it's maybe not completely even to pit a guy who played in what is a major league in NPB for however many years before coming to MLB in his late 20s to pit a guy like that versus uh you know a player in his early 20s who's just up from AAA I kind of see his point but you can't blame a guy for being eligible for an award that he is eligible for you want to change the award and and you know say guys who played previously in other top pro leagues aren't eligible go ahead but until that's the case you can't penalize a guy for that
1: yeah, you know, I, I understand. And and to me, it always does seem a little weird to, uh, you know, guys that have played high level baseball and then come over and it's their first year. And and they are there. But to me, you know, the rookie of the year award is like your first year in the major leagues. So 100%. that would that would be what it is. So uh, say would be an, op- an, an an option for that. But uh, yeah, I you know, comp- it is apples and oranges to like compare them to Christopher Morel, A guy who's like 22 years old, 23 years old, has played, came up. You know, has played, you know, a few mi- like in, through the minor system, but never high level baseball like, you know, as Randall said, in, in Japan, uh, the MPB. So that is, is definitely a different comparison. But at the end of the day, the award is, you know, it's just an award for like the best player who had the best first year. It's not an award of like who's going to be the best player in the future, who's going to be, you know, that's just what it is.
0: 100%. I don't care if you are in Japan, if you're in the California Penal League, you get this award <laughs> for your first year in Major League Baseball. And if you want to get into like side things that impact players i think there's much more pressure on japanese players coming over to the united states because he's coming over with a massive contract that a young guy doesn't necessarily have and he's acclimating to a completely different continent culture all that stuff that goes with it too it's it it, i think it undermines the difficulty of going from a very competitive league in japan To the United States and there's a ton of players that have come over that you thought were going to be good that just didn't quite pan out or just didn't work out for them so. I don't know what Sutcliffe was really getting at with that i'm happy with the year that both of these players have had I expect them both to be big time players for the team next year but i go Suzuki, Jeremy taking the pitcher, Randall going with morale. A fun trio, though, to say the least.
2: And you mentioned the California Penal League. I'm contractually obligated to say we wear caps and sleeves at this level, son. And, you know, this is a debate that goes back decades. I remember it coming up 2003 in the American League where it was Angel Baroa and Hideki Matsui won two in the voting for that award. And the Yankees fans were unhappy that Matsui lost out to Baroa in that award. So people have been debating... You know, should players from overseas win or be eligible for Rookie the year? We've been debating this for as long as players have been coming over from uh, NPB and from the KBO. And, uh, you know, until and unless they put some sort of concrete definition on that award prohibiting it, it it's probably a debate that'll keep going for as long as players keep coming over.
0: Well, how about the other thing that Sutcliffe said that I thought was pretty stupid? Uh And we preface this with a tip of the cap to Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees, hit his 61st home run, a missile out to left field in Toronto tonight. So he ties the American League record with Roger Maris, the former Yankee. Great. He passes Babe Ruth, who had the 60 home run season. So this happens during the Cubs game, and Boog mentions it. And without hesitation, Sutcliffe jumps in and says, Well, as far as I'm concerned, that is the home run record basically saying what mcguire and bonds and sammy did doesn't count randall you're shaking your head uh, i thought this was incredibly stupid and dense from sutcliffe and he said it anyway
2: well you know sutcliffe is kind of like a box of chocolates on the broadcast you never know what you're going to get i think occasionally he has some salient insight and makes a decent point but there's a lot of things that he just kind of draws out there and they just make you shake your head and you know, this this erasure, this attempt to uh, wash away certain records, it, it doesn't make any sense coming from him. It doesn't make any sense coming from anyone. And, you know, it's just one of those things you, you hear, you roll your eyes, you brush it off and you know that Boog is happy to move on because, you know, he wants no part of that on this broadcast.
1: It, it's nonsense. It's it's total you know nonsense. It's it's, and I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised. cliff would say it, but I'm surprised he would say it on Marquee Sportsnet. I feel like you would get. It's not really the venue, just or the uh, you know, the medium, I guess, to say it on. Um, but yeah, you know, there. It's in my in my estimation, I believe uh, Aaron Judge is the seventh, tied for seventh, uh, on the home run list. And there's a lot of this whole, you know, Yankee record or American League record, and anybody who's saying that they should just be as open and honest I guess as Sutton in my opinion because just say what you want to say I mean you're wrong but say what you mean don't like hide behind something else um I so I yeah you know Barry Bonds is the all-time home run leader that's been done a few times hitting 60 home runs uh it's really cool what Aaron Judge did I don't want to take anything away from Aaron Judge he is a marvelous baseball player he had a marvelous season it's fantastic and you know but Nobody knows. First of all, nobody knows what Aaron judge is doing. Like, come on. Like I'm not putting an eye on Aaron judge, but like all major league baseball players, like, you know, things evolve, things change. Everything's different. It's a different era. He hit 61 home runs. That's great for him. I'm very happy for him. It's really cool. But uh, the the home run record is 73 and that's what it is. And this, this attempt to erase this period of history that all these people were so eager to promote at the time and and turn a blind eye on It's just absolutely ridiculous to me.
0: Yeah. I I agree completely with that. I thought it was out of line. And I got to admit, though, I love Boog and JD. I was disappointed that they didn't respond. There was like an awkward pause in the booth, a couple of beats went by, and then they just moved on. I would have loved to see either Boog or JD just push back a little bit on that, just from an entertaining, look, I'm watching a not-so-good Cubs team at the end of September, play against the Phillies here in front of, what, 10,000 people or something at Wrigley Field tonight, that would have been very entertaining. And it doesn't have to get nasty or anything like that. I don't want guys throwing punches in the booth. But man, push back on Sutcliffe a little bit on that. I'd be curious if maybe part of the reason Sutcliffe feels this way is the latter half of his career, the end of his career, coincided with the beginning of the steroid era. So he's sort of this old school pitcher. His career is coming to a close as these powers numbers. I'm speculating here. I have no idea how all the reasons why he feels the way like he does, but I thought there was an opportunity for Booger JD there to just push back a little bit and maybe we get a pretty fun conversation. Didn't happen. They moved on. I didn't move on. Here I am two hours later still talking about it, but there was an opportunity there for some fun moments in the booth and it didn't quite happen, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I'm just wondering if he has some sort of, uh, you know, like, Sammy resentment or something. I know they weren't ever really sure. teammates but you know he was te- good boys with Mark Grace say and other players that are on the Cubs that you know were teammates with Sammy Sosa they didn't always get along so that's kind of where my head is but you have guys like Kerry Wood you know say bring Sammy Sosa back to Wrigley so uh, it's not like who didn't always get along with Sammy so it's not like uh that so I don't know I, I just think Sut- sometimes Sutler runs his mouth sometimes he has some help uh, running his mouth that's got him in trouble in the past on, on air. So, uh, <laughs> you know, well, I, I, a lot of times such just says something. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's entertaining. Sometimes I just ignore it. Be like, okay, that's suck clips.
0: Well, one other question here on the big league team kind of ties into the minors, and we've got a few other topics on that we're going to get to a little bit later in the show. But I'm curious if you guys are thinking of any other roster moves here with a week to go in the season, one more with the Phillies tomorrow, six with the Reds, three at Wrigley, three in Cincinnati. There's an opportunity, maybe a minor leaguer on the 40-man roster who maybe gets a call-up. What do you think?
2: Ronan, you read my mind, which is a little scary. I did not give you password access to that. I, I am I all for it. Yeah, I am all for calling up Alexander Canario for these last six games of the season. Reward him for a tremendous season in the minor leagues. Uh, We'll we'll check in on his final numbers later. Uh, I do want to touch on that, but he's already on the 40, man. Reward him for a great season in the minor leagues. Start getting him acclimated to the major league level that he has a real good chance of reaching. Uh, on an intended basis next year. You know, I know it'll start his service clock. I know maybe you want to let him rest after a long season, especially after he uh, had a couple of injury issues late in the season. But you know what? He's already on the 40, man. Reward him. Show the other guys. If you produce, this is what you get. I'm all for
1: it. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting. I, I I'm not even in for just rewarding. It's just like why not just keep him playing? I mean, the yeah. Iowa season's over. Yeah, uh, call him up. He's on the forty man. If he if he was on the forty man, I'd be like, okay, I understand, go back. But like, he's on the forty man, so just keep him keep him having some. You know, you have him here. You have him an opportunity to get more playing time, more development. I mean, I can understand if they think like, okay, that's just too much in the season. He's been like, if that's their argument, I would understand that. But like, you know, why not keep him playing? Why not bring him up for a final week? Uh, he's hit a ton of bombs. He's his walk rate has improved when he's been in, in Iowa and has improved kind of at every level. So like, hey, you got a 22 year old kid who's who's had a great year who's on the 40 man roster. And it's a week, it's really not going to be like that much in service time, because like, no. I don't expect him. I don't expect him to start the year next year. Right. So, like, you could just hold him back for a month, two months, like, if you really care about the service time issue, which he is probably going to anyways. So I think it'd be fun for a final week to call a guy up like that.
0: I hope they do it. I really do. Just give him a little taste of Wrigley Field before the offseason. Not that it's going to be a crazy scene at Wrigley this weekend, but just get him out there. Let him see the ballpark. Let him have a taste of the major leagues. You go on the road next week. He can experience what it's like flying to Cincinnati, getting that first-class hotel experience. I mean, you're talking about all the incentive in the world for him them coming into next year and not that he needs it right this guy is competitive he's doing everything he can to be a big leaguer but i'm sort of in the line of both of you there yeah reward what's been an amazing season but dangle that carrot for next year as well let's see what he's got it'd be fun at wrigley to see him get a shot this weekend and how thrilling would it be to see him hit a big home run out of waveland or something to put an exclamation point on his season
2: You know what would make it a scene at Wrigley this weekend is that that news bulletin breaking Friday morning that the Cubs have called up outfielder Alexander Canario, and he is in the lineup that day hitting seventh and designated hitting that will make it a scene at Wrigley. Cause when was the last time we got to see a top prospect uh, debut for the Cubs? It's been a little while. The top prospects are all still a a little ways away. Uh, You know, that would make it a scene at Wrigley. There's only so many things that can make a late season series at Wrigley between the Cubs and the Reds that much more exciting. I think that qualifies.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little skeptical at how much of a scene it would be for Alexander Canario to be there, but I mean, we did have Christopher Morell come up, although he wasn't, I mean, probably in the same range as Canario. But the other thing I would mention is that being on the 40 man, that he didn't really, he couldn't train at all with any with the Cubs organization over the off because he was because the lockout, he was on the 40 man. So now you have like another week, I would think, you know, because I was done that, like you can kind of make up for that lost time as well. Um, because he didn't actually, you know, I mean, I'm sure he trained on his own and did, he played in winter ball, but, uh, he couldn't be with the Cubs and this is extra time with the Cubs, with the major league staff, even that like they can impart to him.
2: Uh, one thing I want to say, you mentioned, you know, how much of a scene would it be to call up a guy like Canario? We give Marquis a lot of shit and rightfully so, because they make some incredibly poor programming decisions, especially during games. But one thing they've done that it just occurs to me that I approve of is they are giving the fans updates on guys like Mervis and Canario on a, a nightly or an every other nightly basis. Anybody who's watching a Cubs game and has paid attention has heard the name Matt Mervis, has heard the name Alexander Canario over the last two, three, four weeks because they've been hitting home runs every other night. So I would say one of the benefits of a of marquee doing a little more in-depth coverage is maybe people would be a little more aware of a guy like Canario if the Cubs were to call him up and they would have slightly more anticipation than in a previous era.
0: Hey man, hey, yeah, Cubs well, convention's back trying to uh-oh. sell those tickets, sell those tickets.
1: Yeah. I'm just skeptical on the final week of the season for guys coming out for like the Cubs 11th ranked prospect, <laughs> even if he had a big year, I, I, well, I just don't think it's going to sell like an extra thousand tickets.
2: Well, Jeremy, it's different here. So yeah, <laughs>
1: Well, uh, speaking
0: of Wrigley Field, Randall, you got your final visit to the ballpark in. We didn't have a show last week because Jeremy was out here in Denver. And boy, do I have a story for you all about Jeremy's trip out to Denver. But Randall, I want to hear about your last day at Wrigley Field this year. I know it wasn't the outcome you wanted against those pesky Denver Rockies. But uh, did you have fun at the ballpark on Marcus Stroman bobblehead day?
2: I did. You know, it's always fun at the ballpark. It was a lovely, very warm day. For uh, whatever day it was, late September. It's a very warm day for late September, but it was very nice in the shade. There was a great breeze. Um, I was a little worried. That I was going to get there a bit too late for the Stroman bobblehead, but that was not the case. <laughs> I could have gotten there about an hour later and probably Called still it. gotten probably still gotten a bobblehead without too much issue. But that's a wonderful addition to the collection. Stroman, I know we all hope is a guy who sticks around and does great things for great teams. So that's a nice uh, that's a nice item to add to the shelf. And uh, other than that, you know, Wrigley always looks good in the sun. Wrigley looks good no matter what time of day it is. Wrigley, I think, would look good in complete darkness at midnight, and I think sure. I'd like to get in there and experience that too. But you know, Wrigley is always good. It's always an experience. It's always nice to just sit there and take everything in and appreciate it. And you know, if the people around you aren't obnoxious, appreciate them too. Uh, there's nothing like it.
1: Any choice food options at Wrigley? Uh, you know, I've I've,
2: I've gone with pretty much the same thing this season just because the way concessions are set up now, it's that much easier just to kind of grab certain things i usually go with uh, a dog mm. and or a sausage either of the polish or the italian variety and then you got the burger you got the fries and you got the uh, little pizza in there and that's oh as, yeah that's generally it
0: what about the beverage side well
2: beverage side uh you know water you got to stay hydrated very important uh, a couple of a couple of hard cherry colas, which they do sell at the ballpark now, and those Ooh. go down real easy on a very warm day. So that's something for our Wrigley friends to keep in mind for next year. Uh, yeah, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like sitting there sipping something, watching a Cubs game in the sun, uh, watching them lose. You got all the elements in there, all the classic elements.
1: No burger, no burger. I, I mentioned the burger. Oh, you didn't. Miss, I missed there. that. My I did, bet, I did mention the burger. Threw it in at the that's end. That's on me. Well, threw I, I heard the people. pizza. I must have missed the burger.
0: What was your overall record in 2022, the year of the Randall?
2: Uh, my overall record in 2022, I believe I'm going to come in at two and two.
0: Wow. Okay. You got to more games than I recall yeah. this year. And a nice 500 record. So that's right. So I
2: did better there. than the team itself.
0: How impressed were you with those Colorado Rockies?
2: Uh, on, like on a scale of one to 10, like a, like a three, maybe a soft <laughs> that's
0: four. That's oh, a bad team. And that's about the last win they've had all year, too. They've just been losing figures. left and right since that Figures uh jeremy was out in denver last week we had a good time i think uh we're both still recovering a little bit from a wild week we had a rockies game we had a pearl jam concert over at the ball arena we caught the university of colorado football team get absolutely smoked by ucla up in boulder at folsom field uh, lots going on and randall uh, wants to jump in with something here what do you think? i
2: am i'm contractually obligated to ask this because i've heard about it just nonstop since jeremy arrived in denver uh, stayed in Denver and got home from Denver. Jeremy, it is my understanding that you had a, a bit of a verbal altercation with a Rockies fan who disagreed with your assessment of strategy uh, at beautiful Coors Field in Denver.
1: Well, yeah, I thought uh, Ronan was gonna, was leading to that, but yeah. I can, uh, I, uh, can
0: cue it up if you want. You but want to queue it up? You cue it I up. do want to cue it up because I want our audience to understand what happened before Jeremy, who's had a week to plan his defense, you know, makes plan his my own defense his, his case yeah. here. So really quick setup here. Uh, by the way, Jeremy and I had fantastic seats. It was a midweek day game Thursday afternoon, Rockies Giants at Coors Field. We were about 10 rows behind the home dugout, maybe 15 rows from the field. So we were within earshot of the dugout, and that's important because prior to the game, we're pre-gaming here in the apartment, and I go, Jeremy, I think Charlie Blackman is the worst base runner in all of Major League Baseball. And he kind of brushed me off with, oh, Alberts, or Miguel Cabrera. There's certainly slower guys in baseball. But I said, no, no, Jeremy, I'm telling you. I just watched the Rockies. This guy is the worst base runner in Major League Baseball. So a couple hours later at Coors Field, Rockies down a couple of runs. One out. Blackman is on second. The batter flares a ball to center field. Nice play by the center fielder, Yaz, for the Giants. He Comes in, makes a low catch. Next thing you know, Charlie Blackman standing on home plate and actually walking into the dugout. He doesn't realize the ball was caught in center field. They get the throw to second for the double play, inning over. Folks, this is a game the Rockies were shut out in, and that doesn't happen often in Coors Field. So boneheaded play by Charlie Blackman. Who jumps in? Jeremy Spector. And again, we're close to the dugout. Jeremy like, le- leaps forward in his seat, <laughs> to the edge of his seat, and he starts yelling, Charlie Blackman is a dumbass.
2: Twice. (laughs) Twice he
0: said, quote, dumbass, basically saying, what is he doing on the base pass? So the guy in front of us, two, three rows in front of us, turns around. And I thought this was incredibly condescending. But he turns to Jeremy and he goes, it's called a hit and run. It's a baseball play. And turns around. (laughs) There's about 15 people around us just staring. Like, holy shit, what's Jeremy going to say? Jeremy sort of backed off a little bit, and then as the game went on, poked back in. All right, Jeremy, I'll let you go with this.
1: Well, first of all, I didn't back off. It, it took you me a second off. to register what he was saying because, <laughs> first of all, let let's go back to the setup for a second. Charlie Blackman was on second base. There was no, there was that it was, was one it. Out. it was one out, second base, and it was. You don't, first of all, you don't hit and run from second base. That doesn't no. make any sense. The guy's in scoring position, but. He said it was a hit and run and I started thinking like, well, maybe I was wrong. It's possible I was wrong. And I was pretty loud calling Blackman a dumbass. I did do it two times. I did (laughs) it once. Like, what the fuck is – or what is this dumbass doing? And then the second time was because I saw him standing on the steps going into the dugout. And I said, look at, like, this dumbass. He doesn't even realize he's out. Because he walked no. in and he was like yeah. – he had no idea he was out because we had great views. He was walking into the dugout being like, right, a high five, people. And they were just like, you're out. And he was looking around like, what? Like, how? And I was like <laughs> – but so I went back and, and I did respond to the guy. I said, first of all, he has a third base coach. Like he blew past, he just ran. And this was was a high, it wasn't like a low, it it wasn't as high as I thought it was, but it's pretty clear. Blackman thought the ball was trapped and it was not a hit and run from second base. If you ever watch, if you go back and watch the replay, it was certainly not. He tried to read it. And I watched the Rockies broadcast. They're discussing about how it was a bad read by Blackman, but like he, I responded to the guy. I said, he has a third base coach. He can watch the third base coach. I, I, I said something else. Like he, you know, watch the situation. The guy's like, Oh, he was already home, or he was right around third. I said, No, he wasn't. He was, the ball was caught, yeah. he was like maybe two quarters away to third base. And it yeah. was in center field and wasn't super deep. So they probably would have got him, but like he ran all the way to home. Like he had no idea what was going on. And, And the guy didn't really respond to anything I said, to be honest. I didn't say it as loud or as emphatic because I said Charlie Blackman's dumbass because I was trying to register what was going on because it was a possibility. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I missed something trying to think about it. But uh, no. And then he didn't really say anything. And then at the end of the game, him and his bro were acting very nice to us. And to I just kind of kept my mouth. Quiet. I, they didn't say anything I, to you. I kept my mouth quiet because I'm like, <laughs> they're acting nice. I'm not gonna say anything. You know, they could talk about, you know, whatever concerts they saw, whatever. I'm like, well, I'm not I'm just not gonna open my mouth and yeah. say that was clearly not a hit and run if you watch the highlight. Well, I will say this in defense of you, Jeremy, it was definitely not a hit and run. <laughs>
0: Without question, it was definitely not a hit and run. What happened on the play? Charlie Blackman misread it. I mean, it looked like it was gonna drop in for a bloop single and then he scores and you're like, okay, the Rockies are on the board. They're back in this ball game. You got the time run at the plate now and like CJ Krohn or something like that coming up, whatever it is with the Rockies order. He misread it and he ate it. And you're totally right. We, we were 20 feet from him walking into the dugout. He's looking for high fives from his teammates, right? And they're saying, hey dude, you just got doubled off second base. And you saw the look on his face when it registered that he got doubled off, but, that guy turning around, and I was laughing for innings. That guy turning around and saying, it's called a hit and run. It's a it's baseball, a baseball play. play. That's incredibly condescending, in my opinion, to say that in front of like 15 people. And I, I wanted you to, to just snap back, and you processed it. And I, unfortunately, the momentum, I think, was lost. And I wanted to snap back. Well, I, I, I had my popcorn. I was ready for it.
1: I, the momentum was lost. Once I – like, I wasn't going to start off <laughs> something up anew. But I did respond to him. I responded a couple of times and he didn't respond back. And, and if you're going to be, you know, say something like it's a baseball play, it's called a hit and run. (laughs) No, you, you should know that you don't hit and run really from second base. Like that's not really a thing.
0: Well, here's, here's how I felt after it. And then we talked about this. That game was Thursday afternoon. We hadn't even gone to the concert at that point. We talked about that the whole rest of the weekend. I I think he was triggered that you loudly insulted a, a fan favorite in Denver. And I, so I think it was an emotional response from him versus because because he was wrong. It was definitely not a hit and run. But I think he was pissed. I mean, you go to Coors Field, there's two creatures you don't disrespect Charlie Blackman and Dinger. And <laughs> you disrespected Charlie.
1: I did. And I was wrong. But I'm also going to say I got riled up before the game. Before I, I said, Yeah. Yeah. Roden set the stage and he kept going, Charlie Blackman's the worst base runner. And <laughs> I was riled up and I had a few drinks and everything. And then I saw Charlie Blackman make a terrible, terrible move yeah. in a game. The Rockies haven't even scored yet. It's their only chance to score. They didn't score, as you said, no. and I, it just came out to me, and I did loudly call Charlie Blackman a dumbass two times, <laughs> and I do think that's what that guy was reacting to. But he was a dumbass on that play.
2: Well, Dinger and Charlie Blackman, two ancient creatures synonymous with the Colorado Rockies. Uh, Charlie Blackman drove in the go-ahead run with an RBI triple, of all things, in the game I was at. So mm-hmm. All three members of this podcast have had reason to shout at Charlie Blackmon for various reasons in the past two weeks or so.
0: Well, I'll say this too. Like, generally speaking, Charlie Blackmon is one of my favorite non-cubs. And part of that is like the core of his career has coincided with me moving out to Denver. I go to a ton of Rockies games a year. I love the look, the long hair, the big beard. He was a guy at the top of the lineup who was all right in center field at Coors, had some power. Him and Nolan were on some good teams here. Like I like Charlie Blackman. I've got a favorable memory of Charlie Blackman as a major league player, but... I defend it. I'll defend this to the end. He's the worst base runner in Major League Baseball right now. And I see the Rockies 20 times a year, so maybe I'm just overexposed to it. I'm kind of glad you got to see it, Jeremy, because you really weren't buying it earlier in the day when I was complaining about it.
1: Yeah, true, true. I was like looking at his numbers and like, well, he's bad, but he's not like whatever. But I will say, I will say, I made way more friends at events this weekend in Denver than, than enemies. Yes, uh, that's
0: fair. That's fair. Jeremy made friends at the Pearl Jam concert. And UCLA, we actually had a very cool experience tailgating ahead of that CU-UCL game. Uh, A couple cars over to us. The former uh, varsity baseball coach at Stevenson High School, not too far from where we all went to high school, he was next to us. We had some beers with him. We cooked up some uh, sausages out on the grill. Really was a wonderful time, even though the Buffs got completely blown out. And then in the game, The whole game, Jeremy's talking to this group of about six or seven UCLA fans who wanted to know all about the Big Ten. As we know, USC, (laughs) UCLA coming to the Big Ten. Jeremy had his University of Illinois football shirt on. I represented the Hoosiers. But, Jeremy, you really dominated that conversation with them. I thought that was cool.
1: Yeah, they kept asking me questions like where to go in the big 10, like where where what's the best, you know, uh school, like what's the most fun fan experience? All these different things. I did think it was kind of funny. They were very excited to be in the Big Ten, hated the Big 12. I I thought it was fine. Funny, they kept being like, just wait till we get out of these Big 12 games, these Big 12 officials are terrible. Or you're right, Pac 12. My bad. I'm I'm saying the wrong thing. These Pac-12 officials are terrible, they're awful. They screw us. I'm like. You guys have not seen Big Ten <laughs> officials, okay? And they're like, it can't be worse than Pac-12 officials. I say, when you're playing Michigan, when you're playing Ohio <laughs> State, when you're playing Penn State or whoever, and you're not one of those schools, it's bad, okay? Yeah. It's very bad. And they they were like, oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, it was a fun experience. I, UCLA ran up the score. It was Colorado. Almost, they brought it. I got to see Josh McCown's son start a game. How crazy is that? Uh, yeah. First career start for Owen McCown at the uh, Colorado, a freshman. But, uh, you know, it's always fun to see another school, another experience. And it was a uh, Rashan Salam day. So, you know, hats off to Rashan Salam. That was cool.
2: Cannot wait for Los Angeles to be Big Ten country.
0: Oh, yeah. It's wild. Uh, as Jeremy kept saying with these guys, coast to coast now from New York down to Los Angeles. One other thing here, Jeremy, we were very close to Dinger at that Rockies game Thursday. We had a great view of Ralphie, Ralphie 6 running on the field at Colorado, one of the great traditions in college football. They have a bison that runs on the field, charges out in front of the players as they take the field at the start of the game, as they take the field at halftime. Uh, that was fun, right, Jeremy? You've seen some cool traditions looking around the Big Ten. That's up there, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely wanted to see Ralphie. Wanted to make sure you got to see Ralphie, and she uh, ran all across the field, and uh, one of her handlers uh, may have taken a faceplant at least at halftime. Yeah, big time. But right the... From the yeah.
2: sound of things, sounds like they should have given uh, Ralphie some goal line carries, try and spark some offense. Yes,
1: they should have. It is
0: interesting watching everything they do with the bison. Like it, it comes in basically the back of a trailer, and then they they enact a portable fence or cage, whatever you want to call it. That they corral the animal into the end zone and then when it goes, it goes and that's a young Ralphie that's not a full grown Ralphie yet that thing give it a couple of years it's going to be even faster, but it takes about a dozen handlers to manage that thing and get it back in the trailer before they send it off at the end so just cool stuff it's fun to see that Uh, nothing quite like that in the Big Ten, although we've got some great traditions as well.
2: Nothing, no no college tradition quite like live animals on the field, whether you've got a bulldog, a steer, a bison, truly, truly one of our country's great traditions.
0: Yeah. It's fun. Really, really good times there. Jeremy, it was good having you out here. We missed you, Randall, though, and we put a pause on the podcast last week. We had a lot going on, but happy to be back here. We've got a week to go in the regular season. As I mentioned, one more game with the Phillies Thursday afternoon at Wrigley Field. No more night games at Wrigley this year. All three this weekend against Cincinnati, and then two night games and a day game next week in Cincinnati. Randall, weather. That's kind of the headline today across the United States. What can we expect at Wrigley and Cincinnati? as we close this thing
2: out of course so uh Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather our typical weather provider he is busy with the day job actually tracking Hurricane Ian as it drops just catastrophic flooding on the state of Florida so our best to everybody down there so i am able to jump in this week I am perfectly capable of going to weather.gov and breaking down a forecast and so here is your forecast for uh three games remaining versus the Reds at Wrigley and then three games at Cincinnati to close out the season so Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are all 120 central time starts at beautiful and historic Wrigley Field, as it should be. No national games co-opting anything on this final weekend of the season, thank God. So Friday, as I said, a 120 start. Temperatures will be in the low 60s at game time. It will be sunny with a light wind in from right field. Saturday will be temperatures again in the low 60s nearly identical it will still be sunny the wind will be a little more brisk in from left center at 10 to 20 miles per hour, and then finally Sunday the home finale and it actually makes me kind of sad to say that the home finale the conclusion of the Wrigley Field portion of the schedule temperatures will be a little warmer it'll be in the mid 60s it'll be partly cloudy, and the wind will again be in from left center 15 to 20 miles per hour. The scene then shifts to Cincinnati, where uh, Ian Happ went to college. You may have heard that once or twice. Monday and Tuesday are 540 Central Time starts. Monday night, temperatures in the mid-60s. It'll be dry, not especially humid, partly cloudy with a light wind out to left field. Temperatures uh, much the same Tuesday night, just about the same. Mid-60s, dry, partly cloudy with a light wind out to left field. And then finally, the season finale. On Wednesday, it'll be a 310 central time start, and it will be mostly sunny with a game time temperature in the low 70s. And so that is the weather provided by me this week. But as always, you should follow at Alexander Hall of at Cubs weather. Follow both of those accounts on Twitter for all of your weather needs. And kind of sad to think that's actually our last Cubs weather forecast of the uh, of the regular season. And, you know, I'm sure we'll have Alexander probably provide us with the World Series forecasts potentially as we get that far. But that's our last Cubs weather of the season. And as terrible a season it has been, it's a a little sad to say that.
0: Absolutely. Uh, We're also going to have to tap him next spring for World Baseball Classic weather, right? And generally speaking, they play in nice warm weather or nice climate areas uh, or domes. But still, we do appreciate the work that he does and his Twitter account today, fascinating and terrifying as you see images and things happening down in Florida. I lived in Florida for a year. My parents had a place down there for many years after that. You're always thinking about it. And the one thing I lived in Tampa for a year when I was working for USF, and the thing I always heard there is Tampa doesn't get hurricanes, right? It hits other parts of the state. It always seems to miss Tampa. Didn't seem to be the case this time. They Mm -hmm. seem to be right in the middle of it all. And uh, just unbelievable imagery and horrific imagery. And, you think of the people who said, Oh, it's not going to be that big of a deal. They're probably hurting right now tonight. And that's a scary thought. I think the numbers coming out of this are going to be really ugly.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, it was almost undersold. Like it was, you know, cat one, when it makes landfall or whatever we were told, and then it's going to be a little bit bigger than that. Now I did hit a little bit, I think South of Tampa, a little Southeast, but Tampa's still going to be caught yeah, like big time. And my, my sister, my brother-in-law, he's from Tampa and he talks it up all the time, you know, but, and so, uh, Uh, It's a uh, little—it's gonna be interesting to see because I'm sure he's got lots of contacts down there to see how this all ends up in uh, Tampa.
2: Yeah, this was extremely rapid intensification for a tropical system earlier this week. It was struggling to stay as a tropical storm, and it made landfall today as a Category Four hurricane. So, like we said, just incredible imagery coming out of there. You see the crazy uh, television meteorologists, that Jim Cantori doing his thing down there. catastrophic storm surge, high winds, rain. And uh, it's going to be a little while until parts of Florida are back to equilibrium um, as far as infrastructure. So, again, our best to everybody down there.
0: And speaking of infrastructure, obviously the priority is people and the impact it's going to have on humans, and I'm not trying to understate that, that at all. A lot of spring training parks down there too as well, though, and we'll see if they take on any damage. They've got plenty of time to get that ready for next spring training, and human life, of course, is the priority here. But I will be curious to see if any of those facilities that might be housing players in the couple of weeks here as the offseason gets going are going to be impacted by this and what work they're going to have to do to get those things ready again for next year. Uh, One other thing I want to say about hurricanes, again, I'm not trying to in any way, shape or form, make light of what's taking place down there, but I do hope to live to see the day that Hurricane Randall is a named hurricane. And one of the, even a tropical storm Randall would be nice. And it could be a harmless tropical storm out in the ocean, not bothering anybody, but I'd like to see Randall stewing out there somewhere in the Atlantic.
2: Well, you know, I'm a very helpful person. I like to think I wouldn't get above tropical storm. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt anybody. I have my issues with Florida, but I don't want to dump a catastrophic, catastrophic storm surge on them. So if there ever ever is a, a, a tropical system named Randall, I hope it's gentle. I hope it doesn't bother anybody. I hope it just kind of stays out there in the Atlantic, as you said, stewing and staying away from land.
1: Well, I, I would like to see this Randall out there stewing in the Atlantic, maybe on an sure. annual baseball trip or something. You go to Miami, you go to Wait, in, like City. in the
2: Atlantic, now, yeah, in the, Atlantic along the Atlantic, or in,
1: the Atlantic? Oh, in the, the Atlantic. Randall, you're a man of the water. I, I thought you like to swim. You get out on the beach. You go in the water. Let's see Randall stewing out there in the Atlantic. You know, New York, you know, there's a lot of beaches out there. There's a lot of baseball towns in all these yep. cities on the East Coast. That's my thought.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, we're thinking about those folks in Florida. Hopefully uh, they can manage to get through the night here and, and we'll have some good news maybe tomorrow with regards to what's I, happening down. You there. know, I
2: was able to pull up the list of upcoming Atlantic tropical cyclone names mm. up until 2027. I am sorry to report that Randall is not on the list as far as 2027. But you know what's on the auxiliary list is Ronan. Oh you know, no! It's, it's spelled oh, differently no. from you. It's spelled ah. like the, the Wandering Samurai, R-O-N-I-N. But sure enough, there is Ronin on the auxiliary <laughs> list as the R name for Atlantic Tropical Cyclones. So coming, enjoy, enjoy that. No, Your one That's you. Hurricane,
0: <laughs> hurricane Ronin. Ronin is going to originate in Lake Michigan, and it's going to land and hit the hardest in Morton Grove, home of one member of this podcast here. So I believe that guy. very much.
2: I believe that, that very one, much. Randall.
0: Uh, one other major league thing, and then we've got some Cubs minor league notes I want to dive into here. Major League Baseball, Theo, in fact, reached out to me directly via email <laughs> with this Major League Baseball fan survey. Uh, I filled it out. I emailed it to T. Randall, today. Did you fill it out? I did indeed. Yeah. Jeremy, did you ever see this survey, or is, is this going to be kind of new to you? No, I, I filled it out. Okay, good. Well, for folks who aren't aware of it, it took about, what, 10 or 15 minutes to fill it out. If that. Lots of uh, demographics questions. Where do you live? What team do you root for? How many games do you attend? How do you watch games? There were a handful of questions about sports wagering in there, but there was one question that I wanted to get both of your takes on. I thought it was relevant. We know Theo is trying to implement some rule changes and make the game a little bit more exciting. Well, the question was if you could change one thing about the on field game, what would it be? And I'm curious what you guys put in there. It was one of those answers you could write in your response for.
2: Yeah, I I went back and forth between a couple of different answers here. Ultimately, I said less umpiring. And then I clarified my position (laughs) less umpiring, or yeah, less umpiring, less subjectivity on the part of umpiring and more ability to overturn umpires is what I said specifically. Mm. Less umpiring, more ability to overturn umpires. I wanted to write that that 5,000 word manifesto on how it's time for an automated strike zone, it's time for umpires to be done at home plate entirely. I didn't think MLB was going to read that, not that they're going to read what I actually answered, but that is what I answered is less umpiring, more ability to overturn umpiring.
1: I was, Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't write no umpires, just just no umpires, call your own game.
2: <laughs> you know, I'm not against that, but you know, you gotta be realistic, Jeremy. MLB is absolutely going to read this and they're gonna take my suggestions to heart. Oh, so you gotta you gotta start somewhere and then work your way up from there.
1: Well, I just went with something simple that I know we're hmm. actually gonna get already, so I really didn't really change much. And I went with the pitch clock. I just think it's absolutely needed. I think it's hmm. important, it's ridiculous just to watch. I you know, there was uh, other day I saw a tweet side by side of uh of the same pitcher pitching in triple A this year and in the majors, and just he threw about five pitches in the time it takes to throw like one pitch or two pitches mm. in the in the A in the majors. And it's ridiculous in about a minute 45 span. And, uh, you know, I just think, let's get this show on the road. Let's get, I would love to do something about, you know, all the strikeouts, but I don't know what the answer to that is. So I, I can just say, do something about strikeouts, but I don't know what to change there. But I do think getting a pitch clock is going to help in a lot of ways. And, and I think it's going to create a more interesting game as well. Interesting.
2: And Ronan, you being, of course, the progenitor, of this survey uh, among this this trio of podcasters here. What exactly did you enter as your one thing you would change about the on-field game?
0: You know, I took a different approach than you guys because I didn't have an answer for it necessarily. I just wanted more action, right? Like, I want more balls in play is one of the things I wrote because a couple things happen with that. One, you get more movement on the base paths. But two, you also get to see the incredible athleticism of these defensive players. Like, I still get excited when I see Andre Dawson throwing a ball from right field into third base to get a guy out at third. And these are clips from, like, the 80s. I want more of that, right? I want balls hitting the gap, outfielders diving for it. I mean, when you think about, like, our youth, the 90s, Ken Griffey Jr., all the home runs were one thing. But Ken Griffey Jr., the defensive player, is right up there, like, leaping up over the wall and making catches, throwing guys out in the base paths. So I said, I just want to see more action. So some way to combat all the strikeouts and walks more stolen bases would be fun you know ironically enough earlier today i saw this clip from september of 89 devon white who's on the california angels stole second base third base and home plate in the same inning right he gets on first he steals second he steals third, he steals home the crowd in california is going absolutely wild i mean you wouldn't recognize that with the types of fans that they've got out at the ballpark there these days i want more of that And Jeremy, you and I had a little bit of uh, this week in baseball going when you were out here. That 80s baseball looks really fun to me, right? Like guys all over the base path, out in the outfield. That's what I want to see more of, and that's what I put in there. I just want to see more action and a little bit less strikeouts and walks
1: yeah it's it's terrible strategically <laughs> but uh, it's it's way fun when you see guys that are no i agree with you i want to see more action too i mean that's why we've grown out of it i'm just saying because like all yeah. the smart guys came in and you know changed it up but you know it's you know that old kind of whitey ball or whatever uh guys that are fast they can run you know put you know not necessarily the small ball at the bunting but uh right. uh all, you know that's all the fun things where you see vince coleman steal 100 bases or otis nixon or uh, you know, Ricky Henderson, obviously, and Tim Raines. Uh, you see all these guys. And that's kind of something we've lost in this game. And I agree with you. I think everybody wants to see more action I, for the most yeah. part. I think you, if you ever listen to Theo talk about it, he's like, the one thing I always, you know, what what would you want baseball to be? And everybody's like, more balls in play. And I agree, more balls in plays. I being Theo. And uh, so I think that's kind of the goal. I just yeah. don't know how you get that. <laughs>
0: Well, I I think some of the rule changes are trying, right? Like limiting the shift is one way, making the bases bigger. We're going to see that next year. That could theoretically increase stolen bases or at least uh, maybe give a little bit more incentive. I mean, fewer pickoff attempts being allowed should lead to more stolen base attempts, you'd think. But it's a little bit ironic to me in that I think baseball players today are more athletic than ever. Like if you put this crop of major league talent against any generation of major league players, these are clearly the most athletic guys, but we don't always see that. Right, because guys don't steal bases like they used to. I mean, you see it in pitching, I think, more than ever. That's probably the most dramatic thing. When you go back and watch baseball from the 80s or the 90s, look at these relief pitchers versus the guys that are on the mound now on bad teams, these dominant relief pitchers. So the quality of pitching, the athleticism of pitchers is certainly on display every night, but we're not seeing it defensively and we're not seeing it on the base paths like we used to. And that stuff is fun. I mean, even Javi's time in Chicago, as exciting as the home runs were, Javi's like the most incredible moments to me were defensive or even on the base paths, and more of that is going to be good for the sport. So, I didn't have a solution for it, but that's certainly something that I want to see. The question was if you could change one thing about the on field game, that's where I would have gone with it. And, and
1: uh, oh, yeah, I just, love Randall going at the ums though, of course, yeah, of course, he's going at the umps. I was just gonna say, you're definitely right, uh, about all of that, um, uh, with uh, you know. The, Hey, we we saw we we watched ourselves. We saw uh, Rod Beck throw like 80 miles per hour, just yeah. nothing balls over the heart of the plate as the closer saved 50 50 games in '98. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. We want more action. We want to figure it out any way you can. Just balls in play balls were uh, you know the the when the ball's hitting the play like the defender has to make a play you see the the athlete of the ba- uh the batter running around the bases like, Harry and Gary you say the triple is the most exciting play in baseball and he's not wrong yeah. like there's so much action on a, on a play like that as opposed to a home run which are amazing and fun and the best thing you could possibly want there's not really much action on a home run right. but uh it's just pitching has gotten so good nowadays it's it's incredible and they're going to have to do something to kind of try to combat that. I just don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Well, As a
0: podcast, we're generally in favor of the rule changes for next year. April might be a little bit funky, but as that season digs on next year, I think it's going to be a better product and a step in the right direction as pitching just dominates, dominates, dominates. Uh, Speaking of dominating, minor leagues, South Bend Cubs win the Midwest League title. Second time in three years, so we'll tip the cap there. A wonderful season for them. Fun ballpark. Lots of local fans in Chicago get a chance to see that team. But I want to go to Iowa today. They close out their regular season. With a bang. Brendan Davis, home run. Alexander Canario, home run. And then the walk off from Jared Young, who was in Chicago, what, 24 hours ago. He's in Des Moines. They throw him in the lineup. He hits a walk off home run to bring that season to a close. Some really interesting names on this Iowa Cubs team and guys that are going to be competing for roster spots in the spring.
2: Yeah, Iowa has oh, not been a particularly good team. Uh, record wise the last few seasons, because they haven't really had the pitching. But like you said, there's some very interesting offensive names on this Iowa Cubs team. Uh, We talked about Brennan Davis, you talked about Alexander Canario, who we will touch on later. They also have Darius Hill, who tied for the minor league lead in hits over the course of the season. We've talked about him early. I know I've mentioned him on the prospect corner. He doesn't have a ton of power, but he can hit, he can run, and he can play a pretty decent corner outfield spot. And that's a very interesting player to lead all of the minor leagues in hits. That's that's a lot of players you're competing against, a lot of whom are playing on very different schedules than you, um, and maybe potentially getting a different number of opportunities. So to lead all of minor league in hits, that's that's not nothing. So there's some very interesting offensive names on this on this Iowa Cubs team.
1: I I thought the Jared Young story today was pretty cool because he asked to be put in the lineup because he did. He just he just come from Chicago yesterday. This is the last game in Iowa. He was in Des Moines he showed up at Des Moines and he asked Marty Peavy, like, you know, I'm here. I might as well play. Right. You know, it's the last game of the season. Put me in. I'm here. And then he hits the walk-off homer. So I thought that was pretty cool that he, he he proactively asked, like, I want to play today. I'm here. There's no reason to sit me. Let me play. And then he hit a walk-off homer. And I thought that was cool. And it's nice for Brendan Davis to end his season on a high note because we know all yeah. the struggles he had this year and, you know, all the questions about whether he'd even be able to come back and play baseball at a high level again. So for him to get a home run to end the season, I think that's pretty good at Iowa. And so, yeah, you know, we'll all we'll look forward to it. I know Randall's got more stuff coming on what a lot of these guys are gonna be doing uh, in the off season, but a lot of them are going to have a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah. One more note there on the minors, the Tennessee Smokies lose in the Southern league title. But what I like about all of this is some deep playoff runs for some of the minor league affiliates and some names that are right there on the cusp of the major leagues having some big moments. I would be remiss if I didn't add here, Cam Sanders hitting 100 on the radar gun. So Uh, Sanders to Wrigley let's make that happen I cannot wait for the day that that guy's on the mound at Wrigley Field and I feel like it's coming
2: very proud of cousin Cam my my fourth cousin twice removed Cam Sanders
0: and uh, Scott Sanders give the podcast some love as well as we're obviously big fans of the Cam man. Prospect corner. Randall, uh, we're talking minor leaguers. What do you want to bring in here? Uh, Probably the final prospect corner of the year for you.
2: That is likely. Uh, You know, we'll probably check in on our guys in the AFL later in the offseason, but this is our final regular season prospect corner. A lot of finals in this episode. Uh, So quickly, we'll check in on two prolific minor league home run hitters. We've mentioned Alexander Canario. We've mentioned Matt Mervis. Alexander Canario finishes his minor league season with 37 home runs. That is tops in the organization. That is second in all of minor league baseball, he finishes behind Moises Gomez of the Cardinals organization, because of course he does, uh, who had 38 home runs on the season. Uh, Matt Mervis, his AAA teammate, finishes with 36 home runs on the minor league season. I believe that ties him for third in all of minor league baseball. Uh, so it is not out of the question that the Cubs will have uh, two of the top three minor league home run hitters from 2022. On their big league roster in 2023, which uh, again, that's significant. We mentioned on our last edition of the podcast that Miguel Amaya had suffered an ankle injury. And his status for the AFL was in question. Sadly, that is the case. His ankle injury has required surgery. He will not play in the AFL. Owen Casey, the young uh, redheaded outfielder who they got in the U Darvish deal, he has been added to the Mesa Solar Sox roster. And we'll take an opportunity to talk about the AFL uh, probably coming up soon. I do love the Arizona-centric team names, so we'll talk about those. And then finally, this uh, was just announced, I guess, this week, that the Cubs will be hosting a prospect minicamp at Wrigley this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And the Cubs uh, are calling it Jared Banner, the Jeremy, the VP of Player Development, correct? Yeah. Yep. VP of player development, Jared Banner. He calls it an opportunity for the top prospects and potential MLB contributors to spend time in the big league clubhouse, work out at Wrigley, work with the MLB coaching staff, just spend some time in that big league clubhouse in the big league setting. And uh, again, that runs uh, this Friday to this Sunday. So on the pitching side, the Cubs have invited pitchers Ben Brown, Ryan Jensen, DJ Herzl, Jordan Wicks, Ben Leeper, and Daniel Palencia. Those are all some really important names. And then on the position side, and again, this is a very strong list. On the position side, you've got outfielder Brennan Davis, outfielder Pete Crow Armstrong, and outfielder Owen Casey, first baseman Matt Matt Mervis, infielder chase strumpf outfielder darius hill jonathan perlaza and yo hendrick pinango and a lot of these cool. are guys that we've mentioned on the prospect corner throughout the season so this is neat uh, like jared banner says give these guys an opportunity to work with the big league club this probably going to inform a couple of 40-man decisions in the off season and kind of give some of these guys a head start on spring training next year, where some of the more advanced players might earn those coveted uh, prospect non-roster spots where you you get to spend most of the spring in the big league clubhouse. This is neat. It's great to see. And uh, I hope all these players uh, make the most of their time at regularly this season.
0: No Canario on that list. Is that, That, that,
2: that stood out to me too that stood out to me too. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I do think that would be really fun, but that did stand out to me when you brought Canario up earlier, I looked down at this list that we had prepared and I said, huh, Canario is not on this list. How about that?
1: How about that? Well, maybe he'll be in the big league couple out, for a different reason. That's right. I hope so. But that's a
0: great name, Jeremy. And mm-hmm. uh, how fun Pete Crow Armstrong, a little taste of Wrigley field. That's cool.
1: Yeah. I think it's a cool idea. And I'm curious what they're going to do in the off season as well. Last year, we know they ran that, almost the entire offseason that camp in Arizona and whether or not they plan on doing something similar to that as well. And I think this is a cool idea, you know, even how much work you're going to get in three days. But like just to have that experience of being at Wrigley, being, you know, with the major league staff and all those things. I think that's that'd be a cool experience. and a, And, a, and a, you know, it gets the major league staff knowing who are the guys we have in the system as well.
2: At Wrigley, already a great place to experience birds up close and personal. You got the gulls and you got the pigeons. Uh, soon, the Cubs will be able to add a crow and a canario to those birds at Wrigley.
0: I love it, Randall. Uh, good stuff, though. I'm obviously, very excited about the minor leagues. And I'm with you both. This is a very neat idea for the Cubs having this prospect mini camp. And I hope Marquis has the cameras rolling. There should be a lot of really cool content as we bring this regular season to a close Uh, number eighty-fourth, 84th podcast man we've been at this for a little while here this is not a number randall that's gotten a ton of wear in cubs history in fact i believe it's one who was he
2: It, it hasn't gotten a ton of wear and it's only gotten one who Uh, And that, of course, is infielder Tyler Ladendorf, who had that late season cup of coffee last year in 2021. He is the sole wearer, regular season player or coach of number 84 in the long and storied history of this franchise. So your sole number 84 is infielder Tyler Ladendorf, who donned the number for a a short number of games in the 2021 season.
0: I I think he had one plate appearance. Well, he, he, he was a local guy. From Maine West. Local guy who got the smallest cup of coffee. Yeah. One game, one plate appearance with the big league Chicago Cubs.
2: You are correct, Ronan. Exactly one plate appearance with the 2021 Chicago Cubs. Though it should be noted, he did have big league time with Oakland in 2015 and 2016. He has a grand total of 69 plate appearances to his name as a major league ball player.
0: And are spot on, Jeremy, Maine West high school over in Des Plains and Howard college in big spring, Texas. And then one day at Wrigley field. Uh, but in his major league career, he had a one major league triple and three runs batted in with two stolen bases. So he got to the majors, got to live his dream there and the only cub ever to wear number 84. Uh, before we break here today, I'll talk bears for just a minute. They lose to green Bay up at Lambeau. Then they come home and they beat lovey, on Sunday at Soldier Field, it looked like a fun day at Soldier Field. uh Exciting finish. I, it wasn't the greatest football game I've ever seen, or really anything close to it. But hey, the Bears are two and one, and that feels all right.
1: Yeah, and a chance at three and one this weekend, I guess. New York Giants, but uh you know, jury still has justin fields. He seems to be struggling a little bit, but I like yes. that we have a coaching staff that seems to recognize the issues and it seems to be able to coach around it, like it seems pretty clear that Luke gets trusts trust running the football. Clear Herbert had a monster day. Um, Unfortunately, David Montgomery got hurt, but I, I think clear Herbert might even be the guy to take over. And it seems like this is a coaching staff so far, so far that understands the strengths and weaknesses of this team. And I think that they're doing a pretty good job for the most part, putting guys in positions, uh, positions to succeed and understanding how they need to succeed. Like, you know, it's not great to beat the, Texans on a field goal, but the Texans have been better than expected, uh better than their record. So uh I, I like that they identified we need to run the ball against this Texans team, and they did that. And they identified what you know their strengths are, and they've kind of gone to that.
2: Yeah, I think between uh the injuries for David Montgomery and I think between Khalil Herbert showing out, I think that decision on a, a second contract for David Montgomery is probably getting easier and easier. Um, but, yeah, the, the passing game not quite working right now, but the running game is strong. Um, the defense, I think they're getting there. A couple guys missing this past week with injury, but I think they're getting there. This is not a good team, but it might oh. be an interesting team. And, uh, you know, that would be a step up.
0: Yeah, but I'm with you in that I'm worried about Justin Fields. And it was nice, though, this past weekend to see a little bit of the tight end. Another local product there, commit. Uh, get involved get a couple passes and looks if there's going to be any quarterback play here from justin fields you got to get the tight end involved in that so at least we saw a little bit of that here maybe more to come new york football giants not a great team both teams at two and one but never easy to head out to the big apple and try and win there so i'm not too optimistic about this game this weekend but who knows i'll be watching and maybe they'll pull it off
1: maybe i you know giants aren't great but uh the bears can beat him, but I I've been there when the bears have played the giants in, in MetLife stadium and it's not been a good experience. But uh, the one thing that worries me is Justin. It's like, Justin's got to get better if he's going to be the guy, like he's, got to get better and it's got to get better soon because it's he's been in there for a while now and and there have yeah. been moments but like he needs to improve this game against the texans throw it out but that's a team he should be like i understand the packers okay and i i could pass the 49ers in the rain and he played well in the second half but that game against the texans was a game he should have lit it up uh at least at some level and and it's not looking like the bears are playing like 19 you know 60 style football right now just handing it off like crazy because unfortunately the coaching staff recognizes they have no trust in the passing game it's not just justin they don't have wide receivers that get open and they don't have linemen that can pass protect so there's a lot of issues in the passing game but they have strength in the running game and i like that they've recognized that but it's better than it's been and it just appears that there's
0: a little bit of life there with the coaching staff and uh it's That's what I want right now. At least that keeps things interesting because I'm sad. This Cubs season's coming to a close here. I know it's been a tough year, but I was looking at the schedule. This time next week, it's over. There's no more Cubs baseball until next March, and I I don't love that. So I'm going to try and milk what I can out of this final week of Cubs baseball, and uh, we'll see what happens this week in terms of – potential roster moves and who goes out on top here six games with the reds real chance for some wins here as the season comes to a close well, we will be back next week we will wrap up the regular season we will talk playoff baseball much more so next week and then we're going to start the process here of breaking down the season who we thought the player of the year were the highlights the best games we'll also look at some of the low lights for the cubs uh, plenty of those unfortunately this season but uh Let's go out on top here in the final week. Himself, so Jeremy and Randall. This is behind the yellow line. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. We'll see you next week.